Welcome. Glad you're here. You all, um, you get extra bonus points for coming out in the rain. So good for you. And um, we helped you come in with umbrellas. Uh, you're on your own going home. So uh, just so you know, I just want to give that, make that all clear. In 1977, a couple of uh, musicians created a song. Their names were Charles Strauss and Martin Charnin. And this is the song that they wrote. will come out, sing it, tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar that you know this tomorrow, what, there'll be sun, how appropriate is that to them, huh, forget about something, tomorrow, blah, 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 that tomorrow, there'll be sun, Maestro, thank you. Today we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, and you might say, what does the Holy Spirit and Annie have in common? Uh, there's maybe more than you think, so we're going to talk about it just a little bit. But this was from what musical? Annie. Right. Annie. Okay. Oh, look how cute she is. Now, the story, you, you probably know the story. You might have seen the movie or whatever, and depending on how old you are, um, the, 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 the lady, the mean little lady, was either uh, Carol Burnett or Cameron Diaz. It depends on what dispensation you watch. But you have this little girl who's in an orphanage, and she's in a bad situation, and the guy that wrote the song, the guys that wrote the song said their ambition, this is, what they, this is a quote, our ambition was to create a character whose optimism transcended her circumstances. She wasn't in good circumstance, but you hear in that song, the sun will come out. I mean, tomorrow, today might be horrible, but there's always going to be tomorrow. By the way, <clears throat> what you're going to experience this afternoon, you're going to be going home and you're going to be in the car and all of a sudden you're going to go, tomorrow, tomorrow. That's called an earworm, and uh, that's when you get a song stuck in your head, and I'd just like to say, you're welcome. So uh, there you go for that. There you go. Um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, and if you're new here, this is the deal with that. The Apostles' Creed is this ancient document that really sort of talks about the things that followers of Christ believe. Not just today, but things that we've believed from the beginning of the church. So when we look at the Apostles' Creed, and we don't recite it every week, but there are churches across the country today who will be reciting the Apostles' Creed. So it's kind of worldwide, and it's been going on for centuries, and we've been looking at the Creed. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And here's how it relates to Annie. The Holy Spirit's chief role is rescuing us, the spiritual orphans we are, and bringing us into God's forever family. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to draw us to God and to keep us with God. And we're going to talk about that today. So the creed goes like this. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified dead and was buried and descended to the dead, and on the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. And the very next line is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So, 
Today we're going to look at a text in the book of John. If you have your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. And this is called Jesus's... He, he gives these um, sermons, so to speak, and there are several, and this is called the final discourse. Um, he, Jesus is talking to His disciples about the end of time, or about His ending of time. It's about time for Him uh, to be crucified, and He wants to give them a heads up on that. And He says... Don't let your hearts be troubled. And that, that's kind of a jumping off text. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And, and the notion is, you've got Jesus who's been with us, and we are His disciples, and we've walked and talked with Him for uh, three years, and now all of a sudden He's not going to be here, and He's telling us He's leaving, and we're a little bit worried about that. And then He says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not just going to leave and not come back. That's kind of what he's talking about. Now, every parent in the room, well, at least most parents in the room, have experienced something with their kids called separation anxiety. Anybody know what that is? That's when your kid does that. Uh, you know, you're, you take them back to, to, to children's area and you're trying to drop them off and they don't want it because they, they don't want to stay. They don't want to stay with grandma or they don't want to stay at school or they don't want to stay in, in children's church because they're afraid you're not coming back. And from what I understand, I'm not a pet guy, but I think pets sometimes experience the same thing and your pet might go nuts. Man, you understand separation anxiety when you can't find the remote. It feels like that. Um, everybody in here that has a phone, if you've ever misplaced your phone, you understand separation anxiety. I mean, we go insane for that phone. Okay, so Jesus was trying to help His disciples not experience separation anxiety. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he said. I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter who will be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And so it's, un it's important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit is about and what he does for us. Here's what happens. Um, I think far too often there are people who um, just associate the Holy Spirit with um, uh, spontaneity or uh, emotionalism, and I think that sells the Holy Spirit short. So let's look at what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. You have to listen uh, really, really carefully because it's going to rain, I think, all day. All right, number one, He encourages us. I'll ask the Father, Jesus says, and He'll give you another comforter who will be with you forever. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is He hangs out with us. He sort of took Jesus' place with those disciples and He hangs out with us today. Is, is, my, is this thing like doing something weird? It's this up here. You made it, you made it louder for me. You're so sweet. Thank you, Miss April. Uh, Chris isn't here today. He's in New York. Uh, Chris is the guy that leads worship often, and um, so he's in New York, and um, not here. All right. You know that the, um, the New Testament was written in Greek, a uh, different language than we read or write. And so Greek words and English words don't always translate perfectly. And the Greek word for comforter, the one that's here uh, translated comforter, is the word paraclete. 
But it, it's not a great translation to call the Holy Spirit simply a comforter because the Holy Spirit does more than just comfort. He encourages. He um, uh, walks alongside us. And so the Holy Spirit is there for us to do more than just comfort. Now, He does comfort, but He does more than comfort. And so it's, it's important to understand that. Um, we have, my, my wife and I, we have four daughters, and Mallory is our number two daughter. And Mallory, in high school and college, ran cross-country and track. And Mallory had the gift, has the gift of encouragement. She's a great encourager, and she was a great teammate. And so... Whenever I look at the word paraclete and think of encourager, I think of Mallory because Mallory would go to these track meets. And if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, cross-country is a whole lot of... Um, you stand here and they run by and then you have to go someplace else to watch them run by. I mean, it's, it's not like you get to watch it. They're running through the woods and stuff and you're not running with them, at least I didn't. And uh, so that's what cross country is. But track is better because you can sit in the stands and if you have a kid in track, you only have to sit uh, during the track meet for several hours uh, outside. So that's always fun. Um, here in South Carolina, I'm sure it's great because it's never going to be hot in the summer. And uh, in Michigan... We would sit uh, during the snow while we watched our kids run track. That was kind of how it was. But Mallory would run track, and, and so, you, you know, the tracks were kind of oval. And if you're a NASCAR guy, it's people running, same thing. Okay, so um, Mallory would stand here, and her teammate would, would go by, and she would say, Go, Johnny, go! And then they would run around, and so she'd cross the field and get to the other side and say, Go, Johnny, go, which is great, except if you're trying to talk to her on the phone. So Mallory would run her race, and she'd call me, Daddy, I ran a 6.42. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you'd be talking to her, Daddy, I ran a 6.42. Go, Johnny, go! <laughs> so you've you're, got the phone, you do this, you know. Mallory had the gift of encouragement. Okay. So Jesus said, I've been here to encourage you, to teach you, to do things with you, to help you. I'm going to give you another... I'm going to give you another... Comforter. Somebody, not me, somebody different than me. The Holy Spirit. Now let me give you a real quick Greek lesson. Okay, real quick. Comforter here is paraclete. means comforter or, or counselor or helper or advocate or encourager. Now, there are two Greek words for another. One is heteros and one is alos. And Jesus uses the word alos. Let me, let me give you the differences. Heteros is similar or is the same but different. So I'll give you this example. If I were to buy a new car, let's say I were to buy a Tesla, which isn't going to happen, but let's say I do. And I were to say to you, I bought another car. Now right now I own a cruise, and really I'm not sure anybody is ever going to mistake a Tesla for a cruise, right? They're not the same, right? So if we pull up together and I've got a Tesla and a cruise, I have another car but it's a different kind of car. It is a heteros car. Now, if I buy another cruise, I own a white one. If I buy a black one and I say I bought another car, in that case, I would use the word alas. It is the same of the same kind. Okay? When Jesus says, I'm going to send you another comforter, he's saying, I'm going to send you an alas. We're of the same kind of comforter of an encourager, of a, of, a, of a teacher. So number one, the Spirit, it, it has this relationship with us to encourage us. Here's how I think it works. 
The Holy Spirit comes to live in, in our lives when we become followers of Jesus. And He encourages us to do the right things. Have you ever seen something you know you should do? I, I, should, I should help fold the laundry. You know, or I should help with this. Or I should do this. I know this is some... My neighbor's yard needs to be mowed. I should go do that for them. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, telling you what you should do. And you know how we normally think of the Holy Spirit is that He's telling us what not to do. You shouldn't look at that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't have that conversation. So the Holy Spirit helps us know what to do. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, it teaches us, He teaches us, and He reminds us. And Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said. Here's the truth. This is something we need to understand. Biblical obedience is always driven by love. I don't obey because I want to win God's favor. I obey because I love Jesus and want to make Him happy. Two vastly different ways of looking at being obedient. I can be obedient to win God's favor, or I can be obedient because I've won God's favor. And we're talking about the Spirit leads us to to obey because we've won God's favor, not in order to win God's favor. Now here's, here's the truth. I think this is, is incredibly true. Um, when you love something, you're willing to be more disciplined toward it, and you're willing to sacrifice for it. If I love something, I'm willing to be disciplined for it, and I'm willing to sacrifice for it. Let me give you a couple examples. Hunters. Hunting requires... Discipline and sacrifice, from what I understand. I'm not a hunter, but this is what I understand. So you guys that are hunters, um, you get up at like 3 in the morning, right, to go hunting, and you, you pour uh, deer urine on you, and uh, you, know, you spritz it, I guess. I don't know how it works exactly. And uh, you go out, and it's like 12 degrees outside, and you climb into a tree, right? That's discipline. You have to have discipline to sit in a tree at 12 degrees soaked in deer urine. I mean, that takes discipline. And it takes discipline to get out there early and you put the corn out, right? Are you supposed to do that? Is that illegal? Let's just say it's okay. Uh, You put the corn out so the deer will come in and you can bait them in there and and you can uh, end the lives of those innocent little animals. Okay, so that's your deal. That's your deal as a hunter. And it costs you money and you have to be disciplined and you get that. And, and so because you love something, you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to be disciplined for it. Let me give you a, another example. Scrapbooking. I don't scrapbook. But those of you who do are insane about scrapbooking. People, if you've ever been around a scrapbooker, they are cray. And uh, they, they love the scrapbooking. What do you have to do with scrapbooking? Well, you have to go get the right paper. You can't just use paper. <sighs> I mean, you have to have the right paper, and it's got to have little designs on it, evidently, and you have to have punches and hole punches and other stuff, glitter, you know, whatever you have to have. And, and if you are a scrapbooker, you love it. And if you love it, you're willing to sacrifice for it. There are some memes on this. Here it is. I don't always craft on the weekends, but when I do, nothing else gets done, and you're on your own for dinner. So there's, there are people that do this, and here's another uh, scrapbooking meme. Uh, what happens at the craft store stays at the craft store, except for the crafty stuff I bought I'm hiding from, in my car from my husband. Okay, so um, <laughs> when we love something, we're willing to be disciplined about it, and we're willing... Oh, see, that's too much laughter. Some of y'all are guilty. Um, 
That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart right now. That's what that is. When we love something, we're willing to be disciplined about it and we're willing to be sacrificing for it. So, if I love Jesus, I'm willing to be disciplined on what I do and don't do, and I'm willing to make sacrifices. And the Holy Spirit reminds me of these things. I love that about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us know what to do, what not to do. This is one of the Holy Spirit's tasks. As we saw in that text, He reminds us of what Jesus has taught and He helps us know what to do. A third thing the Holy Spirit does for us, He highlights Jesus. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. And He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify Me. Never calls attention to Himself. It's not about the Holy Spirit saying, hey, look at me. It's always about the Holy Spirit saying, look at Jesus. And there's a guy, a theologian by the name of J.I. Packer. Packer wrote about this, and he talked about the Holy Spirit's role as, uh, he, called it, he called it floodlight ministry. Like it was, it was His job, the Holy Spirit's job, to shine a light on on Jesus. And I don't know about you, but we travel some, Miriam and I and the girls, and, and when we're traveling at night, sometimes in some cities you can travel and you're on the interstate, and you, when you come into a city, a lot of times there are car dealerships with these great big American flags. Have you all ever seen those? I think we have one around here someplace. Um, great big American flag. And if you drive through town at night, what you notice is this, this great big American flag is illuminated. It's, it's bright. And there are floodlights on the ground shining up at the flag. And I have never, ever, not one time in my life ever said to myself, wow, look at those floodlights. They are doing an amazing job illuminating that really big flag. No, what you say is, look at that flag. And this is Packer's idea around what the Holy Spirit does in relationship to Jesus. Let me, let me read a little bit of what he said. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulders onto Jesus who is facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never, look at me, listen at me, come to to me, get to know me, but always look at Jesus, see His glory, listen to Him, hear His Word, go to Him, have life. Get to know Jesus and taste the gift of joy and peace. And Packer goes on to say, the Holy Spirit's role is much like, I love, this, I love the, the picture of this, it's like a celestial matchmaker whose role is to bring us and Jesus together and to keep us and Jesus together. The Holy Spirit draws us to Christ and He helps us stay in relationship with Christ. This is incredibly important. Another thing the Holy Spirit does He seals us and identifies us. Look at this text. God has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. He has sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. Now, we believe that once you become a Christian, you're a Christian. We call it once saved, always saved. Not everybody believes this. Not all even followers of Jesus believe this, but we... Uh, believe that once you become a follower of Christ, that you stay a follower of Christ. And this is one of the texts that we use to uh, formulate that theology. Once we're saved, 
we're saved and we stay saved. And the Holy Spirit seals us in this way. Now, if you've ever seen like movies where they have these letters and these letters have a, a stamp on them and they, they pour hot wax and they put a seal on it, that's the text. He just, he just said the Holy Spirit seals us. And when they do this, three things happen. And I want you to notice how interesting it is how that applies to our lives in, in the Lord. He seals us to guarantee a document was genuine. You seal it to make sure it's the real deal. And you would be sealed, this letter would be sealed to indicate who owns the letter. And a letter would be sealed to protect against tampering. And the Holy Spirit does all these things in our life. He makes sure that we're the real deal. He affirms that we're the genuine article. Now, let's time out just for a second. When we become a follower of Christ, I did it when I was seven years old. When we become a follower of Jesus, and by that I mean when I was seven, I understood I, I had sin in my life. I needed somebody to forgive my sin, and I wanted to live for God. And so as a seven-year-old little boy, as much as I could understand, I said to, to the Lord in a prayer, Father, I, I'm sorry for what I've done. I ask you to take my sins away, and I want to walk with you the rest of my life. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little secret. From the age of 7 until I'm 56 now, so in 49 years of life, there may have been a couple of moments in my life, very short times, where I didn't exactly follow Jesus the way I was supposed to. Not long, two or three years at its uh, most, you know, most tops, all right, at a time. Too often we, we get this notion that once we become a follower of Jesus, I'm never going to make any more mistakes. Good grief. We... we <laughs> That isn't the case. We, we come to know Christ, and sometimes we just don't listen to the Spirit's voice in our hearts. And we do the wrong thing, or we don't do the right thing, and that can happen. We have something called free will. I've got the freedom to choose what I do. The Holy Spirit doesn't just take over and make me do anything. He whispers His voices in my heart and in my mind. He tells me what to do. And the more we are obedient, the easier it becomes. But I have to be honest with you, in those 49 years of living as a follower of Christ, I've not always done it perfectly. However, when the Holy Spirit resides in my heart, it is a guarantee that I'm genuine, that, that, the, that the Lord lives in me, that He and I have a relationship it's also, again, this is owner, it's an indication of ownership. When the Spirit, when I hear the Spirit in my heart, even when I don't obey, it's good news because at least I'm in relationship with God. And I can always come back, which is great news. And He protects me. Here's what happens too often. I'll, I'll make a mistake. I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit's voice in my life. And I, did, I do something wrong. And it can happen, oh my word, it just happens more than we would like to think sometimes. And we're here we are, and, and we just, you know, it could be, it could be something like you could yell at the kids, or you don't behave when you're driving. I know that's nobody in here, but sometimes people do that. Uh, they don't behave when they're driving. Or, I mean, there's so many ways you can, you can stumble during this time of, of when we walk with God through this life. And then we have this opportunity to think 
poorly of ourselves. Well, if you were really a follower, why would you do that? And I, I battled with that. When I was in college, I remember as about 18, 19 years old, I remember sitting in my dorm room thinking to myself, I have made so many mistakes and I've done so many things that dishonor my father, my heavenly father. How could I even be in the family? And I think that happens with us sometimes. I've dishonored my father. How can I be in the family? Let, let me tran translate this. I also had an earthly father. He passed away a few years ago. And I dishonored my earthly father sometimes. My daddy, when I would leave the house, would say to me, remember who you are. And what he was saying to me was, you're a vest, and you need to act like a vest. And sometimes I would always say to daddy, oh yeah, daddy, I know. And then I'd go out and I'd do what I wanted to do. And I didn't always honor my dad or his wishes. I didn't always live like a vest. Because, uh, you know, that his name meant something in our community. And I didn't always honor his name. And one time or a few times when my dad found out about this, one time in particular, he found out I hadn't lived up <laughs> to the family name. But you know what? He didn't kick me out of the family. He, he reminded me that he uh, could kill me. Uh, that was good to be around. He reminded me, you know, it was the old, uh, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. I mean, that. that. But he reminded me, of, of, I, I, I'm a, you're, you're part of the family. We have an expectation for you that this is how you're going to behave. And we expect you to live up to that expectation. He didn't kick me out of the, the house. He didn't disassociate uh, with me. He reminded me, you're part of the family. And as part of the family, we have a reputation and you have to uphold the reputation. Here, here's what happens. Let me, I'm going to bring another orphan in to, to the story. Oliver Twist. If, if you uh, read this book in high school or maybe in college or you've seen the movies or whatever, Oliver Twist is a story. Charles Dickens wrote this at a time where orphanages had this really bad practice of sometimes they would, uh, basically they would sell these orphan children into slave labor. And Charles Dickens wrote this in sort of a, as a way of saying this is wrong. But the story of Oliver Twist is about a young boy who's, who's basically orphaned from birth. His mom dies in childbirth. He was an illegitimate child. The father wasn't in the picture. And so from birth, this kid, Oliver Twist, is an orphan. And he's sent to this orphanage. And they, they farm him out really as a little child into this hard labor camp. And he's working and and he's not getting enough food, and he's working these incredible hours, which is, was common in that time. And there are scene after scene of him being mistreated, and he's mistreated by the taskmaster and the taskmaster's wife. And there's one scene where these boys beat him up. And there's this sort of pivotal scene in the movie or in the book where Oliver Twist lays crying on his bed, and he says to himself, I I'm not going to take this anymore. And he runs away. He decides one night, I'm running away. And he runs away and he lands in London. And when he gets to London, he meets a group of boys his age. And they're fun to be around. And they're, they're happy and they're laughing. And this is nothing like what he experienced 
in the orphanage. And so he sort of teams up with them, and then these boys begin to tell them about the guy who cares for them, a guy named Fagin, and Fagin takes care of us. And, and it just so happens that Fagin has a reason why he's taking care of the boys. The boys are his way. He's like a little mob boss, Fagin is, and he sends the boys out to pickpocket and steal. And the whole deal, the whole look of the book is the more Oliver Twist tries to fix his life, the worse it gets. And sometimes that's, that's the story of our lives. The more we try to dig ourselves out of the hole, the messier stuff gets. And he tries, he, he goes, the old saying is he went from the frying pan into the fire. I mean, it didn't get better for him. And we see that in our lives as well. We're, we all, everybody wants to belong. We've got this innate nature to want to belong. And so when you're young and maybe in high school, you start to look at your parents like the enemy. You know, they're just, they're the man trying to keep me down. And so we try to belong someplace. And you might belong, you might join the band, or you might be an athlete, or you might, you know, be with the goth kids. Or I mean, there are lots of little groups of people in high school, and you become part of that group. But a lot of times that doesn't satisfy you. So you get a little older and you're thinking to yourself, okay, if I get married, then I'll, I'll be part of, of something bigger. I'll belong. And, and you get married. And, and if you're not careful, you'll figure out that you married a crazy person because sometimes that happens. And then you try to fix them. Anybody ever try to fix a crazy person? How's that work for you? I mean, really, uh, you ever get them dialed in? Because that really doesn't work. So you, here's what happens. You, you married a crazy person. You know it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I've married a crazy person. Um, uh, we're struggling right now. We're drifting apart. Why don't we, why don't we have a baby? Because that makes sense, right? Uh, so uh, Because we're, we're jacked up. Let's, let's invite uh, more stress into our lives. And, and we, the more we try to fix, the worse it gets. Just like Oliver Twist. He tried and tried to fix things and it just doesn't work. And at some point in your life, most of us get to a place where we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm making a lot of effort here and I'm not getting a lot of reward. I'm, I'm trying really hard. It's as if my best isn't good enough. And as your pastor and as somebody that loves you, I want to tell you something right now. Your best isn't good enough. It's never going to be good enough. We can try and try. The, the message of the gospel isn't try harder, do more, be better. That is not what the Bible tells us to do. It's not about what you do. Look at this text. So you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now you can call Him Abba, Father. He rescues us. Let me give you another text here. Jesus said, Anyone who loves Me will obey My teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. And we get adopted into the family. And it becomes our identity. I... I'm a follower of Christ. It is an identity marker. And here's the thing about identity markers that we have to understand. Miriam and I, we've been married. Um, I'm, I'm a husband. That's an identity marker. And Miriam and I have been married almost 28 years. And I'd like to make it another 20 or 30. 
And I hope she feels that way. You know, I like Miriam. I think she likes me. And every time I go home, she's still there. So I think that's good. That's a good sign. And we get along and, and everything, but we live in a broken world. And bad things happen sometimes. And if something were to happen, I mean, something could happen. And I'm a father, and that's a marker. And I have four beautiful daughters that I love, and I love to hang out with them. But we live in a broken world, and I'm not a good enough dad to be able to protect them from everything that could happen to them. And if something were, heaven forbid, to happen to one of my kids, or all of my kids, I could cease being a father. And I'm a pastor, and that's an identity marker for me. And that's what I do. And I love our church, but I know this, that any Sunday we could take a vote and because you all are sinful people, you might vote me out. I mean, that's what it would take, uh, sinful people. And while that's an identity marker for me, what I know is this, that could be taken away too. And everything that I hang my hat on, being a husband or being a father or being a pastor, those things, those identity markers could be taken away. And they could be taken away in an instant because we live in a broken world and whatever, however you identify yourself for the most part, those things can be taken away, except, and here's the good news. We all have these identity markers, but here's the good news. Every identity marker I have can be taken away from me except one. When the seal of the Holy Spirit is put on me, I am a follower of Christ. And I can be as broke as broke can be, and I'm still a follower of Christ. And I may not be a husband anymore, but I can still be a follower. I'll, I'll still be a follower of Christ. And I, if, I, if my children are taken away, I'll still be a follower of Christ. And if the church, my job is taken away, I'll still be a follower of Christ. Those identity markers so many times become so important to us, but what we have to understand... There's one identity marker that just cannot be taken away. And that's why he says, God has sealed us and given us the Spirit. Now, some people will say, I don't know that God wants me in the family. Why would God want me in the family? Or, or why would Jesus die for me? Or why would the Holy Spirit come and live in, with me? But it, it says it right here. The Spirit is given to us as a down payment in our hearts. What do you put a down payment on? Just, just any. What, what, if you were to put a down payment on something, what would it be? A house, car, engagement ring, every, things that are incredibly valuable, right? It, I have never put a, I've never gone to McDonald's and said, I'd want a six meal and I'd like to know what the payment plan is. I've never done that. Not one time I've ever done that. I've never gone to the Dollar Tree and said, uh, I'd like the layaway plan, please. I mean, I've never gone to Dollar Tree and got the layaway. Uh, I haven't had to. Because you don't put a down payment on something that costs a buck. What you put a down payment on is something that's incredibly valuable. And when it says that the Spirit... is seals us and comes into our lives as a down payment, it's because... What God sees when He looks at you is something incredibly valuable. When He looks at us, it, if we weren't really valuable to God, why would He send His Son to die for us? I mean, today, 
the thing you need to hear, maybe more than anything else, is God gives us the Spirit as a down payment because of His value, or our value to Him, how He values us. See, He says that's right. Right there. Uh, uh, yeah, getting a witness. Right there, right there it is. The Spirit comes into our hearts to remind us. Now this shouldn't puff us up or make us cocky. I look at it like this. I spoke about Miriam just a second ago. When I think about my marriage and my, my wife, I think to myself, oh my word, how could I have been that lucky? Why would God be that good to a person? And I, I look at her and I think, oh my word, the most patient person I've ever met. She's patient with me. She's patient with my kids. What did I do to deserve that? And I know the answer is I did nothing to deserve that. When I think about Jesus and what He did for me, and I think to myself, oh my word, what did I do to deserve that? And the answer is, I did nothing to deserve that. Somehow, people who love you see more in you than you see in yourself. My wife sees more in me than... Then is there. Uh, you know, she sees more. In, and God looks at me and He sees more there than you see and that I see. I, I love this verse. The Holy Spirit, that word down payment is a Greek word that means engagement ring. Uh, like a promise. A ring of promise. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us as a promise of our future with God. It's so cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for we thank you for this good day that you've given us. Thank you for the rain. And Lord, if you could get rid of the pollen in the process, that would be awesome. And we, we pray for that too. But the Holy Spirit living in our lives, creating in us. Uh, helping us become more like Jesus. We're part of the family, now we need to act like we're part of the family. And the Holy Spirit helps us in that regard. And we thank You for this gift that You've given us. I pray that we would, as we walk out of here, see ourselves as valuable to You. And we ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.